what's going on everybody welcome to another brand new installment of renegades reviews right here on the casa d18 studios channel i of course am the renegade jj williams and today i'm going to be discussing from 2009 notorious starring jamal woolard and christopher wallace jr as the notorious big angela bassett derek luke anthony mackie Antonique Smith, and Naturi Naughton. What's up, everybody? Thank you again for joining me today on another brand new installment of Renegades Reviews, and I feel that today's is going to be a fun one. Not necessarily as it pertains to the tragic passing of Notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace, but just the nature of his story and the music and the legacy that he left behind. I know whenever I put on a Biggie song, I always end up in a good mood because he always had that jovial atmosphere about his songs. Our film begins in 1997 at a party in Los Angeles, and it's the evening that Christopher Wallace is about to be murdered. A car pulls up along the side of his, and as shots ring out, Christopher begins to flash back to his life up to that moment, beginning in the 1980s, Brooklyn, New York, where Christopher was a hardworking school student before getting involved in the drug game. Christopher ends up becoming a major drug dealer during the height of the crack epidemic, selling on the street corners along with his friends D-Rock and Lil C's. When his girlfriend, Jan, tells him that he is pregnant, that she's going to be having his kid, Christopher is forced to take his hustling to the next level in order to provide for her and his daughter, Tiana. One day, Christopher ends up taking part in a rap battle using the alias Biggie Smalls. And he ends up winning the competition. Because if you've ever heard Biggie flow, he's just got a really sick verbal delivery. Now, despite his success in the rap battle, his mom, Valletta, kicks him out of the house when she finds out that he's been missing school. And she throws away what she feels is an old plate of mashed potatoes under his bed. When he reveals that it's not mashed potatoes, and she realizes what it really is, she decides to throw him out of the house because she refuses to have him bringing that up into her house. Christopher ends up getting busted by the police for possession of drugs and a firearm and ends up doing nine months in jail before he gets bailed out. Upon his release from jail, Christopher reconciles with his mother, starts seeing Jan a little bit more, trying to visit his daughter, Tiana. It's around this time that Christopher meets Kimberly Jones, the future little Kim. And at first, she's a little hesitant 
to get into a relationship or anything with him because she's been in abusive relationships in the past. But eventually she falls for his charm and the two begin a relationship. Christopher ends up going to a friend's house where he's DJing, messing with some beats, and he grabs the microphone to start kicking some rhymes. His friends are like, you know, if you're going to do this, we need to record it. So Christopher ends up recording a demo tape using the Biggie Smalls moniker. Of course, Biggie Smalls will end up morphing into the notorious B.I.G. And it ends up catching the attention of a producer slash A&R man at Uptown Records by the name of Sean Combs. Puffy. Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Diddy, whatever you want to call him. For the review, we're just going to call him Puffy. And Puffy is determined to sign Biggie. He promises him a record deal. However, he has to renege on the deal when he gets fired from Uptown Records. Both men are sad, but their drive, they are undeterred in their quest. They are going to make it some way, someday, somehow. But at this point, Christopher still needs to make some money to support Jan, support his daughter. So he ends up getting back into the drug game. Him and D-Rock end up getting arrested because of possession of an illegal firearm. And the police are determined to take one of them down. They don't care which one, but they're taking one down. And D-Rock takes the fall because of the promising future ahead of Biggie. He sees the talent that young Christopher possesses, and he knows that he will eventually be a success, and he can't be a success behind bars. When Christopher discovers that his mother, Valletta, has been diagnosed with breast cancer, he becomes depressed for a while. And it ends up taking Puffy coming to him and informing him that he's launching his own record company, Bad Boy Records, and presenting Christopher with a $60,000 check in a, as an advancement for his debut album, Ready to Die. And that snaps Biggie out of it. Like, he realizes that this is real now. This is going to happen. He gets out of his depression a little bit, but he still has some of those mentalities from being drug dealer, hustler, not wanting to live. So all those themes turn up in Ready to Die. A 
A few days later, they're at a photo shoot for the bad boy recording artists. Everybody is there having their pictures taken to try and help promote the label. We see Biggie there. We see Puffy there. We see Craig Mack there. And Biggie meets Faith Evans, an R&B singer who's been signed to the label. The two fall for each other almost immediately. Again, the charm and the charisma of Biggie definitely portrayed as irresistible. And they end up getting married on August 9th, 1994, only af after only knowing each other for eight days. This obviously upsets Kim, because Kim wants to know what Faith has that she doesn't have. Because all this time, Kim has been there for him. And Jan is still in the picture. Not necessarily as a love interest, but that's still his baby mother. So there's a lot of tension between the four individuals. Biggie, Faith, Kim, and Jan. Faith catches Biggie cheating on him, and they break up. Not long after, they reconcile, and this breeds even more tensions between the four individuals. While at an album release party for Ready to Die, Biggie ends up meeting Tupac Shakur. And Biggie admires Pac at this point due to his successes. I mean, he's had platinum albums, he's been in successful movies, and Pac warns him about people in the business. Biggie's not tripping on that, though. Biggie is worried about the people that Pac is hanging out with in New York. He tries to warn him about them, like, hey, these aren't the type of guys you want to be involved with. Watch your back. Pac doesn't listen, though. When Pac comes to Quad Studios, he's going to come up to see Biggie, sees the rest of the gang. I believe they weren't really, they didn't say what they were in the studios for, but based on the timeline of historical activity, when the quad studios shooting happened, I want to say that they were probably in the studio beginning work on the junior mafia album, the album that would bring us such hits as players anthem and get money. So Pac shows up at the studio cause he's going to record a verse on somebody else's song unrelated to the junior mafia project. Sees Biggie and them up there and he's going to go join his friends but he gets robbed and shot five times. And Pac begins to believe that the bad boy camp set him up. At the 1995 Source Awards, Suge Knight of Death Row Records appears on stage and disses 
Puffy and Bad Boy. Talking about if you want to come to a label for the executive producer, is it all up in the videos, dancing, trying to be on your songs, come to Death Row. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit unrelated to the film. I read somewhere that Suge Knight's initial statement, which was perceived as a diss towards Biggie, Puffy, Bad Boy, was supposedly directed at Jermaine Dupree and So So Deaf. Take that for what it's worth. I find that a little bit hard to believe, but that's the claim that I read. It makes a little bit more sense to be directed at Puffy because in 95, I don't remember seeing Jermaine Dupree dancing in too many videos for his so so deaf artists, like I do remember seeing Puffy. So take that with a grain of salt for what it is. So Suge Knight, this is Bad Boy and Puffy, in theory. And the tensions between Biggie and Pac continue and escalate. Eventually it's picked up upon by the mainstream media, who spins it into a whole East Coast versus West Coast rivalry. While in Los Angeles for the 1996 Soul Train Awards, Biggie receives death threats via phone calls from unknown callers. And as Biggie and his crew leave the after party from the Soul Train Awards, Suge Knight and Tupac verbally assault Biggie, but decide to leave when security detail approaches the situation. Shortly after this time, a song called Who Shotcha is released by Biggie as the B-side to his single, Warning. And Tupac interprets the song as a diss track towards him. Now, again, I did a little bit of research on this song. And even though it was released in 1995, it claims to have been recorded in 94. That makes sense because... Ready to Die came out in 94. So it was probably recorded in theory during the Ready to Die sessions, but was left off the album. And then they decided to use it as a B-side for Warning because Warning, who shot you? Like that just makes sense for a, a single pairing. Again, there's no, no proof because it doesn't say when the track was recorded. I can't find information on that. It just says it was recorded in 94. Even still, the shooting at Quad Studios was in November of 94. Which means that if the song was a diss towards Tupac, Biggie would have only had a month and some change to write it, record it, mix it, everything that needs to be done for a track, which isn't impossible, but highly unlikely. So on this, I tend to believe, Biggie, that the song was in existence, 
prior to the shooting. However, the timing of its release definitely causes suspicions. So Pac taking the song as a diss, fires back with his own song, hit him up. And like I said, the timing of its release did nothing to help the case in the media. When Biggie sees a magazine cover with Tupac and Faith on the cover together, not just like Photoshopped, but actually them together, Biggie begins to wonder if Pac was telling the truth about sleeping with her on Hit Em Up. They break up again. Biggie and Faith break up. This time Biggie initiating it because he can't believe that Faith would do that to him. Despite the fact that he cheated on her previously, doesn't believe that Faith would do that. So he's very hurt about everything. The two reconcile once again a little later on when Christopher learns that Faith is pregnant with his child, Christopher Jr. The East Coast-West Coast rivalry continues to escalate, and at a concert in Sacramento, Biggie is booed during his show. In an effort to try to shut the crowd up, he decides to play Who Shot Ya, which he had taken out of his set list in an effort to try to ease the situation a little bit since he claimed that it wasn't about Pac. He had stopped performing it, but in order to get the crowd to shut up and stop booing him, he decides to kind of hit them with the diss track and the crowd ends up perceiving it. The Biggie and Tupac rivalry continues all the way up until Tupac is murdered in Las Vegas, Nevada. And when Valletta, Christopher's mom, tells him that Tupac's death was probably a direct result of their feud, Biggie's kind of shook by this. He never in a million years thought that legitimate violence or death could come out of this rap beef. As a result of this revelation, Biggie attempts to try to live life to the fullest a little bit more. He begins seeing his daughter Tiana and Jan a little bit more again, paying them visits, trying to get Tiana back into his life. D-Rock ends up getting released from jail after serving his time in the gun charge. And Biggie and him renew their friendship almost immediately. Biggie confides in D-Rock that he's contemplating leaving the rap game because of all the drama and the BS involved. Because this, this killing of Tupac has him that shook. You know, could he be next? Despite all this, Biggie's about to go on a trip to Los Angeles to promote his brand new album the double album, Life After Death. He brings D-Rock, Little C's, Puffy, and Faith along with him. And while in L.A., Biggie begins to get death threats again. 
And despite the death threats, Biggie ends up calling little Kim to apologize to her for the way that she's been treated by him over the years. And the way they make the scene look in the film, almost like Biggie knew that he wasn't making it out of L.A. alive. It's almost like he knew that his death was upon him and he was trying to make right by people. He tries to set up a meeting with Kim for when he gets back to New York, and she agrees. And then we flash back to the opening scene with Biggie getting shot. A few days later, his funeral is held. Friends, family, colleagues, peers in the game, they all come up to mourn the loss, along with thousands of fans who line the streets to pay their respects to the notorious B.I.G. And as the movie closes, we hear Valletta reflecting on her son's life. She admits that while she's sad that she lost him so young, at only 24 years old, she's proud of everything that he accomplished in his lifetime. He accomplished his dream and is still regarded as one of the best MCs ever. Whenever you ask people, especially of my age, for their top five, Biggie is usually in there somewhere. One of the mourners on the streets in the crowd turns on his radio and starts bumping Hypnotize, which is the lead single from his new album. And the crowd dances as Christopher's casket is driven through the streets of New York. For those of you that have seen this movie, you know that I glossed over a couple things. I really didn't get into too much his relationship with Kim, which was pretty volatile, let's be honest. A lot of turmoil, a lot of up and ups and downs. Because I wanted to try to reflect as much as possible on the positives in Christopher's life. I had to touch on the drug game. But for the most part, you notice I tried to cover the, the more high points of his life. I've seen this movie a couple times now. This wasn't the first time I watched it. And Biggie's story is one of those rags to riches stories that's just so inspirational, so captivating. It's hard not to get wrapped up in his success from a drug dealer to a successful artist. Huge shout outs to Jamal Woolard, who played Biggie for the majority of this film, but also for Christopher Wallace Jr., who played his father when he was a little boy. Those early scenes before Jamal takes over are actually Biggie's son portraying his father. And I felt that was a really nice touch. Much in the way that O'Shea Jackson Jr. played his father in Straight Outta Compton, 
which we'll get into in a couple of days here as we take a look at Black music during our celebration of Black History Month here on Renegades Reviews. But I thought it was a really nice touch that they brought in young Christopher to portray his dad as a little boy. Considering that at the time of the movie, he was about 12 to 13 years old. It, it really worked nicely. I'm a big fan of the music of Biggie, of the music of Bad Boy. Um, even being a West Coaster, you know, living in California, born and bred here in Cali, home of Death Row Records. At the end of the day, when you look at the lasting legacy of the two companies, and this may be a little bit um, controversial, I think Bad Boy won the war. Because if you just go off of star power, okay, forget all the minor players. Death Row had Biggie, or excuse me, Death Row had Dre, Snoop, and Pac. That was it. Bad Boy had Biggie, Puffy, Mace, Locks, Faith. Both Pac and Biggie only officially released two albums during their tenures with their company. Pac's double album, All Eyes on Me, followed by Machiavelli, which came out after his passing. Biggie's Ready to Die and his double album, Life After Death, which came out after his passing. It's, it's a very touchy situation, but for longevity alone, I feel Bad Boy takes this one. Because when Dre left and Pac died, then Snoop left and Death Row crumbled from there. Biggie died, they still had Mace, they had the Locks, they had Faith, they had Total, they had Black Rob, they had Shine for a little while, who sounded like Biggie. They had all of these other artists who still made major hits for the label and were able to keep them in the spotlight whereas pretty much everything that Death Row dropped post-Pac and Snoop was very hit or miss. There wasn't a huge, successful artist or album that came out once Pac died and Snoop left. It's just the way it is. It's facts. Like I said, I know it's controversial, especially coming out of the mouths of a West Coaster. But at the end of the day, I think Bad Boy won that war. What do you guys think, Biggie 
Tupac, who do you prefer? Do you like them both equally? Let me know in the comment box below. I'm going to give Notorious three and a half out of five stars. Almost put it at four. Almost. But three and a half stars out of five. That is my ranking for Notorious. Do you guys agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Once again, comments in the comment box. Thank you to all of you that have been leaving me comments. Greatly appreciate it. Let's get out there and get those hashtags trending on social media. Hashtag Casa D18 Studios. Hashtag Renegades Reviews. Hashtag Renegade Returns. And of course, the ever popular hashtag shenanigans. Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money's made. Don't forget to get out there, do what the commercial said, get you your shirts, support teespring.com slash stores slash Jeff Meacham Network. Get you a Renegade J.J. Williams shirt. Get you a Dad's Not Always on Wrestling shirt. Get your Stat Boy approved shirt. Your Back to the Future logo, Jeff Meacham Network shirt. Support. Tomorrow, right here on another brand new Renegades Reviews, exclusively on the Casa D18 Studios channel, Make sure you join me as I discuss Ray, starring Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles. That's what I'm sure you're not going to want to miss. So until then, thank you for watching. I appreciate it, and I will see you guys next time.